You're listening to the 2020 Central Texas Men's Conference. This year's speaker was Peter Reed. Learn more at centraltexasmc.com. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you guys. You make me feel welcome in your midst. I appreciate that. I feel like a middle school kid on the first day of school, and I don't know anybody. But you guys make me feel at home. Just to clear up one thing, you know, I've lived in Germany for 30 years now. That's the majority of my life. And sometimes people think I'm from Germany, and they'll come up to me, wow, you speak English really well. Good job. Uh, I I was born and raised uh, in the United States. I was born in Wisconsin. I was born again in Wisconsin. I'll tell that story tonight. And I was raised in Minnesota. So that's that's where I'm from. It's just that the Lord uh, took me to Germany when I was 23 years old to be an RA in a Bible school. I thought I would be there for six months, and that's 36 years ago. I spent six years in Canada as well, working with torchbearers. Well, Richard, I'm all set to go. Did you get my email this morning? Good for you. Thank you. You guys have a great team here. Yesterday evening, we talked about the reality of community, which is based on the literal presence of Christ when a person is born again. And this morning, I'd like to speak about the preserving of unity. Because in that passage we looked at yesterday in Ephesians chapter 4, it says that our responsibility is to preserve the unity of the Spirit. He creates it. And that's a miracle. So if you have your Bibles, and even if you don't, I'm going to read a passage this morning moving down in Ephesians chapter 4, starting verse 25. I'll read a few verses there to the end of the chapter. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25, it says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. This passage says that we are members of one another. And although my relationship to Jesus is a deeply personal matter, It's never just a private one. And if you read scripture carefully, you'll understand that God dealt with the whole of his people, not just individuals. And we need to remember that as the body of Christ. If you recall in Joshua chapter 7, Achan committed a sin of taking something from Jericho that he wasn't supposed to. The Israelites went up to Ai to fight a battle and 36 men died and they came back and Joshua was on his face before the Lord. And God says, basically, get up. Israel has sinned and I'm not going to be with you unless you get this straightened up. And it's interesting, God says, Israel sinned. And I'm saying to myself, wait a minute, Achan did. Yeah? But the whole body paid the consequences. And if I knew 
that an individual relationship with Christ was going to have ramifications for the whole church. Would I take a vested interest in a brother's walk in the Lord? You better believe I would. But we've lost that sense of collective thinking. We live in a day of hyper-individualism. And we need to be careful that we don't lose an appreciation for the body of Christ as God intended. When I travel to other parts of the world, you know, it's interesting how unified the body of Christ is and how churches stick together because, to be quite honest with you, they're in such a minority in the countries where they live, they don't have an option to go to another church because there is none. And so they've learned how to operate as a body and I have something to learn from them. And it's good to know that. If each one of us in this room was a piano, the best way to make sure that everybody sounds the same is to tune all of those pianos to one tuning fork. And that's the way that it is in the body of Christ. As everybody is rightly related to Christ individually, we experience unity corporately. But Christ is the tuning fork. And that is why I say, although my life in Christ is deeply personal matter, it's never just private. And I owe it to somebody today that my life be tuned to Christ. It was quite a number of years ago that I was in Saskatchewan, Canada, and I was ministering in a small church there. And my hosts were a lovely family who had sent their daughter to one of our torchbearer schools in England called Cape and Ray Hall. And she had become a missionary with, uh, uh, with OMF. She was a nurse, and she went to Thailand, and she had written her first newsletter as a brand new missionary from the field. And her parents gave it to me, and they said, oh, I'm, do you want to read this? Honestly, I didn't know her at all, so I wasn't that interested, and I read it more out of obligation. But after I read it, I wrote this young lady and asked her permission to quote what I'm going to quote to you now because I found that it hit the nail on the head. This is a missionary after one year on the field in Thailand. She worked at a leprosy clinic in that country. She said another question which one or two of you have asked is, what has been the biggest adjustment since coming to Thailand? Next month I'll have been gone away from home for a whole year already. The biggest adjustment surprised me. It wasn't the language or the culture or the heat or the lizards on the wall or finding a cockroach on my toothbrush or hearing rats on the roof. The biggest adjustment has been learning to be with Christians all the time. My co-workers in the hospital in Canada were almost all non-believers. Non-Christians frequently display selfishness pride, greed, gossip. I never found it hard to forgive them of their quote-unquote sinful behavior. No one really expects them to act otherwise. But since changing careers and now having Christian co-workers, I've discovered that we also display selfishness, pride, greed, and gossip. Only we call our gossip prayer requests. (laughs) 
It's a whole lot harder to forgive my Christian brothers or sisters for their sinful behavior than my non-Christian friends. Sometimes what I need most is a new sense of the preciousness of his children. It's easy to look with the heathens, at the heathens with love. Perhaps pity is the more accurate word. But it's hard to be non-judgmental and patient with Christians. When God sent his son to die for us, yes, he did it to save lost souls. But he also did it because he loved those of us who would become believers. And God knew full well how unholy his family would be. And yet he still considered us worth the sacrifice of his son. I like that. My friend George Verver, who is the founder of Operation Mobilization, says, you know, it says in scriptures where two or three are gathered in my name, there's a mess. <laughs> Friends, we live, we, we live as imperfect, broken people with a perfect Savior. And we're still living east of Eden. And perfection isn't going to be here. It's going to be in the new heavens and the new earth. And I found this young lady's uh, letter so pertinent. Which is why I believe Jesus said very clearly in John chapter 13... He gave a command to Christians to love one another. Because that is one of the greatest witnesses to the watching world is also one of the greatest challenges. I asked the leader of a mission in Germany to confirm a rumor that I had heard and the rumor was this. The number one reason why missionaries leave the field is that they can't get along with their co-workers. And I asked him, is that true? He said, yeah, that's true. You see, it's, it's, it's been my attitude towards other Christians in the body of Christ with whom I serve that has been one of my biggest challenges. And the problem has not been with them, it's with me. Remember that meeting at the airport last, last night that I talked about, meeting that lovely couple? They'd been on a missions trip to Sweden, and we met, and two people, you know, three, three children, and God got together, and we felt at home. I'll tell you where the challenge would, would come if they came to Bodensioff and had to work with me all the time. That's why Jesus gives us this command. And I think probably one of the reasons why, uh, why you know, hurt and division is caused in the body of Christ so, so often is because our expectations are higher of God's people. And I suppose they should be. But the reality of the situation is, I bring my own growth process into this relationship. And I'm growing in Christ. I'm not there yet. I'm just growing. And sometimes, not only have my expectations uh, been, been unrealistic, but I've been expecting things from Christians that only Christ can give. We need to go to God to get, we need to go to man to give, and not the other way around. I want to go to God to give, show him how much I love him, and then I go to other people to get, just, just like a sponge, just give me more and more and more. We need to reverse that. Go to Christ and be a good receiver. And then go to other people and give what you've received.
I read this quote by Oswald Chambers I brought it with me this morning. He said, drink drink deep and full of the love of God and you will not demand the impossible from earth's loves. And the love of wife and child, of husband and friend will grow holier, healthier, simpler, and grander. I like that. I want to admit to you this morning that I have a problem with anger. My anger is the kind where it simmers. It doesn't explode, it simmers. And I realized this many years after my parents got a divorce when I was about six years old. I'll tell that story tonight. But my uncle was speaking with my father one day. My uncle died of ALS. And he said to my father, you know, we didn't hear the words, I love you, from our parents very often. We need to do that with our own children. And my sister had called me up. I don't know where I was. She calls me up on the phone and tells me about that conversation. I blurted out to her, well, tell him it's 32 years too late. Bam. I had an anger problem. And I needed to learn how to forgive and how to let the Lord heal that relationship. In our passage that we looked at this morning, it says, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. And then it says in the same breath, and do not give the devil an opportunity. You see, there are two emotions that the powers of darkness are going to capitalize on the most. And those two emotions are anger and fear. And we need to deal with those God's way. Otherwise, we're going to open the door for spiritual attack. And it's just going to complicate things even more. And when that gets into the fellowship of God's people, it's deadly. I brought another verse this morning, and it's found in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15. And it says there, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. You see, bitterness in one relationship is going to affect all your other relationships. And if you and I choose to leave our anger overnight, we need to be careful about that because it could turn to bitterness by morning. And scripture is very careful, it's very realistic. It says, be angry, but don't sin. Because honestly, it's like sometimes I just don't have control over my anger. My, my anger just, it, it comes at moments in ways that I can't control. But what I do with it at that point is critical. And I've had to take a look at the issue of anger according to God's word. The question is, when does anger become sin? 
Because this verse says, be angry, angry, but don't sin. So I ask, when does anger become sin? Well, the answer to that question is very simply this. Anger becomes sin when anger turns to revenge. And let's be very honest. Our revenge out of anger can be very subtle. We avoid a person. We slander them behind their backs. We are sarcastic about them in their presence. And we're pretty slick with our revenge. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 19, we read this. Never take your own revenge. But leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And part of dealing with anger is realizing that it is not my right to get revenge. That's the Lord's business, not mine. Do you know, David was certainly anointed as king when Samuel came to him as a teenager. We know that because a young man went to war when he was 20 years old, and David's brothers went to, the, went to war, but not him. They gave him the worst job in the family, and that was tending the sheep. And for the next decade, as God's anointed... He spent a lot of time running away from a jealous king who did things like try and pin him against the wall with his spear. He had some tough days. And he had good reason to be angry and want revenge at Saul. And yet it's interesting. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 1, when, when Saul died, it says, Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so also did all the men who were with them, and they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the people of the Lord and the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. Could it be that God took so much time with David to prepare and soften his heart to become king. And he took that much time so that when God had his day with Saul, David did not jump for joy. He wept. God will take his time. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Friends, if you're like me, the longer I live, the more mercy I need. And if I have not given it, I will not get it. Jesus didn't say, you're going you're gonna to give mercy because you received so much from me. He said, you give mercy, and on the basis of you giving mercy, you're going to get mercy from me. So I need to be merciful with those who hurt me. I needed to learn how to be merciful with my father because it hurt 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 2, by your standard of measure, it would be measured to you. So the standard by which I judge other people, even secretly in my heart, is what I'm going to get myself. So if I don't have a gracious heart with other people, and I keep on judging those who are closest to me, beware, there may come a day when I'm judged by that same measure. I'm going to get as much mercy as I give. And this is teaching me that someday I might need a lot of mercy because I'm a failing, weak individual. I need to learn how to be merciful with others. The end of this passage in, in Ephesians 4 this morning, it says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. I'm having to learn within the context of our community, we have about 27 full-time staff. It blossoms to about 40 when, during our summer conference season. And I'm having to learn within our very close community that I need to make things right quickly. And it would not be unusual at Bodensiof if you were to shadow me or any of our staff that during working time, there would be staff who would go into somebody else's office and say, listen, you know at the staff meeting this morning, I spoke to you in a way that was unkind. Would you please forgive me? Forgive fast because the longer we leave it the harder it's going to be to make things right because the bitterness just builds and it hardens the heart and it doesn't make things easier <laughs> this past week I'd, I'm forgiving I, I'm having to go ask for forgiveness so often it was three times last week I don't know how many times I had to go to my teenage son and say, Christian, that was unkind of me. Would you please forgive me? And the whole way up the stairs, I'm quoting scripture. Children ought to obey their parents. I'm the dad. He ought to be apologizing to me. God doesn't let me get away with it. I need, I need to say something in, tw- in parentheses here. I've only, I've only been 21 minutes. But I'm realizing that although God has commanded children to respect and obey their parents, God has never promised parents, children, that I always obey them. Do you understand what I mean? <laughs> and I've turned scripture around. <laughs> and sometimes I'm expecting things from people that God never promised me. Forgiveness is costly. Let's be honest about that. Forgiveness is the decision to live with the consequences of injustice in your life. Forgiveness is the decision to bear the scars of some hurt on my life. It does cost me. But it will cost me much, much more not to forgive. We always need to remember that. It's going to cost me to forgive, but it's going to cost me much more not to forgive. 
Because when I do forgive, the Holy Spirit is not grieved anymore. He can, he can heal hurt. He can come and comfort me. And he can bring healing and power to relationships. Doesn't mean that we have to call something good that was bad. Christians are realists. We don't have to call something good that was bad. We don't have to deny hurt. But we need to forgive. I would also like to say this about forgiveness. Forgetting might be the effect of forgiving. But it's not the means of forgiving. Because quite honestly, some things are just doggone hard to forget. I think of Corey Tenboom, who with her family went to a concentration camp in World War II, and all of her family were murdered. And one day after the war, she was in a church in Germany, and a man came up to her with tears in his eyes, and he confessed that he was one of the guards in the concentration camp where her family was murdered. And he looked Corey Tenboom in the eye and he said, Sister, would you please forgive me? And she said, when he said that, all of the memories came to mind. And all of the hurt and the horror of that experience. But the Holy Spirit convicted her and said, it's time to forgive. And she said that she stuck out her hand. It felt like a piece of wood. And she grabbed that man's hand, looked him in the eyes, and she said, brother, I forgive you. Out of an act of obedience. And when she did that, she said a thousand pounds was lifted off of her life. And the Holy Spirit was able to comfort and heal And that experience is the one that led her to say this. And I brought this on a quote this morning. She said, forgiveness sets the prisoner free and finds out the prisoner was me. You see, letting them go is going to let you go. It's, it's a phenomena in an act of forgiveness. But the one who benefits often the most is the one who does the forgiving. Because at that point, the Holy Spirit and the presence of Christ is unleashed to provide comfort and healing for the hurt, to bring power of restoration in relationships, and the ability to move forward. One last quote. It's a long one I brought this morning. It's by C.S. Lewis. He said, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, 
dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. And the only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and stress of love is hell. We need to forgive. And it could be that we need to forgive somebody in the body of Christ. Because it is within the context of intimate relationships that are very rich that hurt can take place because you make yourself vulnerable in that relationship. It's the only way to love. A bitter person is a lonely person. A bitter person is like a person who's, who's smeared Limburger cheese on his upper lip. And everywhere he goes, everybody stinks. <laughs> bitter person is a lonely person. It's no good. We've got to forgive. It's the only way that we're going to be able to move forward into loving relationships that are going to impart Christ to us in a powerful way. The daughter of one of our directors said to her mother one day, Mom, I've become a non-church Christian. A non-church Christian. That's a contradiction. You can't be a non-church Christian. We are members of one another. And we cannot give up on the body of Christ because it's the only body he has. Before we go to our small groups this morning, I think Skip is going to come up afterwards and make some announcements. Could we pause right now just for 60 seconds of silence? Speak to the Lord about something that he has put on our heart and where his words penetrated our conscience. Resolve to act on that. Let's do that for 60 seconds and then I'll close in a word of prayer. Lord, we're also given to forget that we're forgiven child of God. 
and that you paid the highest price possible to redeem even me. Lord, forgive us for the low view we've had of your body. And I'd simply pray that we would not grieve the Holy Spirit in any way towards a brother or sister in Christ, even those closest to us within our own family. And I thank you that you give us the opportunity to forgive, and not only the opportunity, you give us the power to forgive through your very presence. And I thank you for the healing that comes through it. So where your word is spoken to somebody this morning, encourage them, strengthen them. And we give you the glory and pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.